Hello and welcome to The 40 Minute Mentor with me, your host, James Mitra. Here at JBM, we think one of the best things you can do for your career is to find a great mentor who you can learn from and be inspired by. So for those of you who are looking for this mentorship, we launched this podcast. In each episode, we'll be sharing career stories, advice and mentorship from some of the most inspiring people we know. And we hope that you can apply some of these learnings to your life and career. I'm always keen to get feedback, so if you have any thoughts once you've listened to this interview, just drop me a line at james at jbmc.co.uk. Today's guest and your mentor for the next 40 minutes is the ever so inspiring author of The Business of Sharing and founder and CEO of Beam, Alex Stephanie. Having started his career as a lawyer, living and working all over the world, Alex decided to join the tech startup Just Park as their COO in 2011. He was promoted to CEO at the end of 2012 and led the business to close the largest startup equity crowdfunding raise in history. Following his success with Just Park, where he still remains a board advisor, Alex ventured out on his own and started Beam, the world's first crowdfunding platform that helps homeless people to train up and get back into work. Beam's growing community of supporters have made a total of 17,000 donations, helping over 50 people find stable employment in a position that will provide a living wage. Beam hasn't grown unnoticed, winning lots of plaudits in the press and many awards, including being named by The Guardian as one of the most important social tech innovations of 2018. I loved finding out more about Beam and Alex's diverse experiences. In our conversation, we talked about many different aspects of his career, including the skills that helped Alex switch from working as a lawyer to a high-growth tech startup, and the challenges he faced in the early days of Just Park, how he became a thought leader on the sharing economy, and how this led him to write his book, The Business of Sharing, which involved him interviewing some very high-profile people, which we discussed during our chat, and also his ideas on how everyone can get involved in the sharing economy and how we can find long-term solutions to the homelessness problem, including ways to get involved with his amazing business, Beam. Alex's passion for using technology to connect people who want help with people who need help is both inspiring and contagious. I am so glad I get to share this conversation with you, and I hope you'll be as inspired as I was after hearing Alex's story. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one, so please do get in touch, And please also check out and support Beam if you can, so we can all do our bit to help tackle the homelessness problem. So with all that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with the brilliant Alex Stephanie. Alex, thank you so much for being with us today as our 40-minute mentor. It's great to see you. I thought we could kick this off as we like to with an overview of your CV in 30 seconds, if that's okay. No pressure. (laughs) Sure. Well, you know, things have jumped around. So 30 seconds is hard. So I, when I left university, I didn't know what the hell I should be doing. And I would love to have gone and worked in technology, but I didn't think you could do that unless you're a computer scientist. I remember looking at Google back in 2001 thinking, wow, it'd be so awesome to work for this company. What a shame I didn't do computer science. So when I left university, I did something much more traditional. I worked in corporate law and then consulting. But for the majority of my career now, I have worked in high growth tech startups. And a lot of that experience has been growing a business called Just Park, which is a parking app. And more recently, Beam.org, which is a new way to help a homeless person for the long term. Amazing. And that was 
pretty much 30 seconds. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Alex, yes, yeah, so you, you taught English in China, you practice law, you've been a consultant and you've set up your own business. So your career has gone down lots of different paths. When you look back at it, did you always want to be an entrepreneur, do you think? Or did you have a different career in mind when you were growing up? So I wasn't one of those kids who was sort of always, you know, hustling and selling stuff in the playground. I did do a few of those things. And I we did this thing called Young Enterprise when I was at school, which I loved. But I think that I had probably quite an entrepreneurial mindset and I've always had that. So I've always sort of been asking, like, you know, why? Why are we doing things that way? Like, can we do things that way? Maybe, you know, and it's sort of like always quite a rebellious person as well, whether that was at school or university. And, you know, kind of, I think a lot of people who end up starting their own things are very sort of instinctively quite rebellious people who make quite awful employees for other people because <laughs> yeah. they don't like doing things just because they're told to do things. And they like doing things in the way that makes most sense to them, which of course might not always be the right way of doing it, but in their crazy little minds, it yeah. seems to make most sense. So I think I've, I probably had a very kind of entrepreneurial mindset. I like building new things, like, you know, very embarrassing, nerdy example I could give you was I was really into plants and gardening when I was a kid. Oh, wow. um, so like I thought maybe we can like grow this like global community of, of people who are kind of into plants and gardening and my, my family take the piss out of me for this <laughs> but I started you know instead of just like I don't know saying I'm going to like you know do this little gardening thing I I founded what I called the International Gardening Club and this was going to be like a global movement wow. and you know I was like I was seven at the time and obviously nothing came of it but you know I kind of had this like this I guess this big vision and this ambition in, in that kind of weird nerdy little thing and uh, yeah I think you know it's the, that's another important attribute and not only kind of we can do things better but this sort of like ambition is, is I think a key a key part of most entrepreneurial people definitely and you, you've alluded to it I think the the intellectual curiosity is a trait that I see in a lot of a lot of founders and you clearly had that in spades have you kept up the the horticulture because I'm not very green fingered I must admit I would love to but alas uh, time is short these days so I have a, a kind of little I don't have a garden I have a terrace which is generally pretty neglected <laughs> I, I used a little startup called Patch uh, you might know yeah who, um, and this was before they're quite pretty successful now but back when they were starting out the founder of that kind of came around to my flat at like some ungodly hour and uh, like made it everything like beautiful and wonderful and awesome. you know then I promptly kind of let everything <laughs> die and massively neglected it by working too hard for the sort of six or nine months so um yeah no I, I think I'm going to save um horticulture for retirement probably <laughs> no, fair enough fair enough and you've you've obviously you started your career as a lawyer and we see a lot of people that's that start in a more traditional setting and then but then move into to tech and, and entrepreneurialism uh, what attracted to you to law in the first place and and why did you end up making that transition when you did well, I didn't know much about myself back then, but one of the few things I did know was that I really loved living and working in different countries. So after school, I'd done that in China and law was a really easy way for me to do that. So I could, by joining an international law firm, I could go work in different places. And by working at this firm, I worked in Prague and then and Paris as well. And so that I think was the main driver. I also found law kind of you know intellectually stimulating. In the end, it probably wasn't right for me because it was kind of a bit too reactive. You know, ultimately you have your clients who are making the, the key decisions and then you're sort of implementing them. And I suppose I kind of wanted to be making the decisions myself. Fair enough. And given the diversity of roles you've had throughout your career, Alex, what do you feel are the key transferable skills, be it from law or the consulting work that you did that have helped you in, in Just Park and, and Beam? I think that there is something to be said for just surrounding yourself with good people in a really good organization. And that was something that 
I got at this law firm, law firm called Clifford Chance. And it's kind of like one of these sort of like very hardworking, ambitious types of places. And, you know, although substantively what I learned is not something that I'm using day to day, it just like brings you up when you're surrounded by that quality of people. So, you know, one of the things that I look for when I'm interviewing people these days is is what I call high performance environment. It's someone that has spent some time in their life in an environment of excellence, you know, whether that is playing, you know, for the, you know, England netball team age 15, or whether that is Goldman Sachs, or whatever it is, they've been surrounded by really ambitious people who are, you know, great at what they do. And I think that's one of the good things about joining a, you know, really good sort of traditional type organization when you leave university, you get exposure to, to quality, and you get to see what, what, you know, really great work looks like. And it's quite easy to then apply those lessons and those standards in, in different contexts. Definitely, definitely. I guess we, we're regularly advising candidates that are looking to make that sort of career switch. I think it's, it's really good advice. It'd be good just to because it is a difficult thing to do. There's a, probably every day we have calls going, I'm, a, I'm an investment banker and I want to go work for a tech scale-up or, or I work in consulting, how do I transition? How did you actually go about making, what were the steps you took to get into tech? And particularly keen to come on and talk about the sharing economy. And if you were to look back now, would there be anything that you'd do differently? Well, in some senses, the decision was made for me because I was a rubbish lawyer. Okay. <laughs> so seriously, I'm not not even sort of like humble bragging, you know, I looked around and I was like just, you know, much worse than most of my colleagues. And so I felt, you know, this just isn't me. Like, hopefully I'm, I'm kind of a competent person. I should be doing something else. So in a way, it was a little bit easier for me. What was really difficult about that transition was it was the middle of the credit crunch. And so, you know, people just weren't hiring and people in particular weren't hiring lawyers. Uh, so, you know, it's a really challenging time, but in terms of how I moved into it, well, I left law, not really having a clue what I should do with my life. And then while I was unemployed in this kind of, you know, these really dire economic years, I very belatedly got my first smartphone and I turned it on and it was a little bit like that scene in Pulp Fiction where the John Travolta character lifts up the, the suitcase and his face lights up. It was kind of like that when I turned on my first Android Samsung phone and I remember like being on a bus and, you know, it told me where to get off. And I was like, wow, um, you know, <laughs> stuff, that, stuff, that we all, yeah, stuff that we like all take for granted. And we're now probably like sort of bitching because it's like, I can't believe this bus app didn't tell me which seat was going to be free. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I realized very quickly that the smartphone is going to change everything about how we interacted with, 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 with companies and our friends and our colleagues and, you know, how we access goods and services. It was obvious it was going to be hugely disruptive. And so... I was really excited about that. And I started going to just loads of networking events and loads of meetups and kind of pretty much night after night for like three, four, you know, I don't know, maybe three to six months I was doing that. And you know, one of the things that was obvious quite quickly was that tech was a very open sector where people were prepared to actually make time and be friendly and nice to, to people like me. And I, you know, some absolute nobody. And that was, that was really exciting as well. Cause I thought, okay, you know, maybe this is a kind of a community that will actually welcome someone in if they're if they're hungry enough and, you know, really want to help people out and, and add some value. So, you know, that was how it all got started. And then I ended up meeting an investor 
in Just Park, or as it was then called, Park at My House, at an event called Launch 48, which was basically an all-weekend event where you uh, you start a company over the course of a weekend. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I've met you know other crazy people like me who you know want to build things and have fun at the same time. So you know that was like an inherently crazy thing because people were just like, let's just like you know instead of just sit and watch football this weekend, let's actually hang out at UCL and work all night building a company. And you know, I just you found your tribe. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really, it really was a case of that. And like, you know, I haven't really looked back ever since, and feel really grateful to have found technology and to be working in a sector full of you know so many smart and dynamic people. Brilliant. And um, so, could you tell our listeners a little bit about the early times at, at Just Park and some of the early challenges, perhaps, that you overcame as a team to make it the success that it then became, went on to become? Sure. So. When I joined this business, Park My House, it had been around for about five years. Um, it was founded by a guy called Anthony Eskenazi, who is CEO at the moment. And yeah, it was my first taste of a tech startup. And I suppose I'd been in my previous roles, sort of working on big deals and things like that in the corporate world. I was very much like kept at arm's length because everything was kind of so big and I was so genial in the scheme of things. And suddenly this was an environment where there's way too much to do to kind of treat people in that kind of insulated way. You have to just like roll up your sleeves and get shit done. And, you know, that is the most useful thing you can do. And so that was really refreshing because suddenly, you know, there was no one like managing me closely. There was just a huge amount of work to do. And it was just like, well, let's get up, you know, get going and, and add value. So, I mean, you know, it was very exciting and fun. You know, before I knew it, kind of like flying back and forth to the US and going to South by Southwest and meeting investors and thinking about strategy and product and, you know, just everything at once and juggling a thousand different balls as any startup founder can relate to. So I was COO there for a year and then I became CEO and Anthony moved over to focus more on the engineering side because um, he built the original website and that freed him up a lot. Um, he's a kind of great entrepreneurial developer. And then for the following three years, it was really scaling it from the two of us to about 45, 50-ish people. And that was, yeah, it was just absolutely wild, awesome times. The first time I'd ever worked for a startup and, you know, just learning, you know, so much about how you structure a company and set goals and strategy and, you know, obviously making a thousand mistakes along the way. But, hopefully you know getting more stuff right than wrong yeah definitely and i know that you in that time you grew up revenue over tenfold you closed one of the largest equity crowdfunding for startups in history so there's some, some amazing achievements were there any things in those early years that were particularly challenging or or, or any things that you, you kind of look back on you, you sort of think oh i can't believe we kind of overcame that i mean one quite crazy thing was one time an editor at Macmillan invited me out for lunch and was saying we're interested in, in having a book written on the sharing economy I'd love to pick your brains it's like uh, okay that's fine so they came to our office and we, we, we grabbed a bite nearby and at the end of this meal she said to me actually why don't you write this book and I was like uh that's a really bad idea I'm way too busy but I was kind of attracted to that idea because it was definitely something I was very interested in. And then I went to Anthony afterwards and like, they've asked me to write this book. It seems like a crazy idea. What do you, what do you think? And he was like, well, just go for it. So I was like, oh, okay, shit. <laughs> so I ended up agreeing to write a book at the same time as running this company wow. and having, I guess, sort of like super high standards of myself. I didn't just sort of like, you know, scribble out 
80,000 words and call it a day. Mm. Like I really put a lot into that. And that was a really, you know, really tough thing to be doing two of these things at once. But, you know, also proud of that book. Um, it's called The Business of Sharing and it came out a few years ago. And I think that was probably a very challenging time because over the course of writing this book, we grew from, I don't know, like four to 30 people or something wow. like that. And, um, you know, I'd sort of be working from, I don't know, like eight till eight. And then I would come home and be like in author mode for a few hours. Wow. And then, you know, it will be like half 11 midnight and then it'll be the same again, you know, That's day amazing. after day for like a year. Not, so, not that sustainable, but you clearly kept it up. So. Yeah, I think I have probably just quite a lot of sort of natural stamina. But, you know, when you're, you're related as well, James, you know, when you're doing something that you really care about, that energy just appears. Yeah, totally. And I found the opposite when I was a lawyer, which was because it wasn't really aligned with my values and I wasn't really passionate about that work, some work would come in and it wasn't that much, but I would, I would find myself exhausted doing this work. So, you know, I think if people are wondering if they're, you know, really passionate about what they're doing and excited by, you know, one quick test is how tired does it yeah. make you feel? Does it give you energy as does opposed it give you to energy? dreams? Exactly. Yeah, totally. I think that's, that's, that's a brilliant point. And through writing that, the business of sharing, you had the opportunity to interview some incredible entrepreneurs. I was, I was looking back and you, you met the, the founder of Airbnb and Zipcar and all these incredible businesses. Through those experiences, were there any particular stories or pieces of advice that those entrepreneurs gave you that have really stuck out and helped you in your career? Oof. That is a good question. So yeah, what happened was I decided to split the book down into these different chapters and you know, one chapter was investors, one chapter was entrepreneurs, politicians, and regulators and customers and all of these things. So anyway, the entrepreneurs chapter was basically an excuse for me to kind of caravan around the globe and meet some idols. Yeah. <laughs> and great. you know, I'd never been to like CEO school. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So it was a great excuse for me to kind of, I guess, get other people's advice and, and network with different people. In terms of advice that I got, um, let me see, it was kind of quite a few years ago now. Yeah, I think the Airbnb experience was interesting and it was kind of cool talking to one of their co-founders about how when they were at Y Combinator, oh. they were flying back and forth between San Francisco and New York where the platform had most activity, but still like tiny amounts of activity. And he was talking about when they were doing meetups in, in New York City, where there were more Airbnb co-founders than attendees. Wow. And how they just kind of plugged away. And, you know, I guess the sort of, you know, you can take two things from that. You know, one, it's really hard to build a business and you shouldn't get dispirited because you have seemingly very little traction. You do sometimes just need to kind of, you know, plug away. And the other thing I think is that for many businesses, you need to invest in community you need to make sure that you're having these really high quality interactions from the early stages. It doesn't necessarily matter if, you know, you're not reaching an audience of, of millions or even thousands. If you can reach a small audience and those people are really bought into what you're doing and they believe that it's going to make the world a better place, then actually those people will get other people and they will convey those message well to those other people who will get other people and you're building something you know, ultimately really long-term mm. sustainable because there is a you know really values-driven community that sits behind it and you know, it's interesting to see how much more kind of defensible a business like Airbnb is versus a business like Uber yeah. where I don't think they've ever really invested in that community and what you've seen is probably a greater degree of fickleness between drivers and also with, with passengers as well. 
But I think Airbnb have really kind of got that right in their business. And well, I guess the IPO is probably coming yeah. next year. So Proof in the pudding. But it's, I mean, I don't know. We, I've used Airbnb countless times in the last few years. It's, it's an incredible business. Uh, but, it, but really interesting to hear that everyone goes through those struggles, even, even the founders of Airbnb in those early years. Yes. That's great advice. Are there any sort of characteristics or traits that you found from all those different people, be it politicians or entrepreneurs? Were there any consistent themes in terms of the way that they are that has led them to be so successful? I, I think probably... You know, focus is always the thing that you have to come back to. You can be, you know, the most intellectually brilliant person, but if you're not focused on something, it's never going to really materialize and grow. And, you know, I I remember interviewing a famous VC called Fred Wilson in in New York. And, um, you know, what really struck me was that the meeting was pretty early, maybe like um, half seven in the morning or something like that. And he got there and he unlocked the office. And this is the most senior partner at that firm. He's one of the most famous VCs in the world. And, you know, he turned on the lights and he showed me in and he got us coffees. And, you know, he looked tired, really tired. But like, this is a guy who's absolutely at the top of his profession, but he is working super hard. He's so focused on finding, you know, the next great company and helping entrepreneurs to succeed. And so, you know, what does that mean? Yeah, you, intellectually, you can be capable of being a Fred Wilson, but if you're not prepared to put in the hours and the yeah. work, then it's probably going to remain a pipe dream. And that, I think, is true for the people who get to the top in startups or the investment world or, or politics. So, yeah, fo- you know, focus and, and, and discipline. That's great. Great advice for our listeners. I want to come on to talk about Beam, which you founded in 2017. And for those that don't know, it's a, a crowdfunding platform that helps people from disadvantaged backgrounds train up and get into work. What inspired you to set up Beam? Well, a few years ago, I got to know this homeless man who would sit day after day on the steps of my local tube station, an Irish man in his mid-40s. I remember the first time we spoke, he told me that uh, he would sit on these steps because there was a CCTV camera above, and that made it less likely that he'll be attacked. And um, yeah, we got to know each other over a period of a few months, and I would buy him cups of coffee, I'd buy him uh, thermal socks when it was getting cold. And... um, one of the things that, that really struck me was that he told me he kind of hadn't really ever been in work. Like he'd sort of spent his entire life drifting and, and, and out of work. That just struck me as so sad because he was a kind of nice guy who, who had stuff to offer. And then he disappeared for about seven or eight weeks. And um, eventually he reappeared and I went up to him and he looked really different. So his beard was gone and he looked way older and he looked terrible. He looked like 10 or 15 years old. And I went up to him and I said, where have you been? What's happened? And he said, I've uh, been in hospital, had a heart attack. So we spoke and then I walked home and when I was walking home, I was just thinking, this is just terrible. Like I've been trying to help this guy, probably other people have as well. But he's in a much worse position than when we first met. You know, what could I have done to have actually made a meaningful difference to this person's life? For me, the answer was actually fairly clear. It was giving this person the skills, the training, the confidence so he could support himself. So he could buy himself coffees, socks, and the hundred other things that we all need. Now, sure, that's going to cost more than a cup of coffee. But what if we all chip in? Why couldn't we just crowdfund training for people like him that they could use to support themselves? Brilliant idea. So that was the initial idea of I'd had that experience of crowdfunding back at Just Park. So, you know, then we'd raised 5 million euros through crowdfunding. I thought, well, surely we can crowdfund a few thousand pounds. So 
I didn't know a whole lot about homelessness, but I went and I started Googling and I started meeting as many people who'd experienced the problem. And I met as many people as I could in charities from sort of chief execs to caseworkers. And I basically pitched them on this idea. And I said, look, I'm not from this world. The last thing I want to do is make anyone's life worse. But if you think there's something in this, let's give it a go. And a few of those charities were really excited. And the next thing I knew, I was sat in a homeless hostel in South London with a guy called Tony who'd had a pretty complex life. He'd spent quite a lot of his life um, in prison. He'd been addicted to substances. He'd been an alcoholic. But he was absolutely a lovely guy. And this guy wanted to become an electrician, but he couldn't afford the training. So we spoke and I explained how this would work. He was very quiet in that meeting, apart from one time. He said to me, can I ask a question? And I said, yeah, of course you can, Tony. You can ask me anything that, that you want. He said, I don't understand. What well, don't you understand, Tony? I don't understand. Why would anyone help me? So I basically say, I don't know if they will. I don't know if they will. I cannot promise that, but I think people care. And I think we're going to see that. So we kind of trust me enough to give this a go. And me and my friend Julian, who's our head of engineering, we build a basic website. And I then sort of phone some journalists. And it turns out that people are interested in the story of people like Tony. And it's one of the main stories on Sky News, on BBC News. It's covered by easily 20 publications around the world. We crowdfund Tony's electrician training. He goes to his college. He gets his City and Guild Fantastic. certificate. Today he's working as an electrician on a commercial building site in London. He's in his own place. He's earning good money. His relationship with his friends and family are transformed, as is his life. That's amazing. And what we do at Beam is essentially build technology and an operational model that is allowing us to scale that. And we now have a website at beam.org. I hope if you're listening to this, just get Definitely it open on your browser right yeah. now. And there you'll see people who are referred to Beam from homeless charities and local authorities. We give them a support specialist, an employee of Beam, who does two things. One, builds a kind of risk plan for them. So we think about the risks in their life and how we manage them. And two, builds a personalized career plan could be anything from becoming a bricklayer to an accountant. And then the public comes and funds those individuals or funds all of those individuals. You can sort of split your donation across every life campaign. And then we support them through the training and into work. And it's a model that's really working. It's wonderful. So more than 80% of people who've been through the model have started work in their chosen career. And, um, you know, this is like Tony, it's a hard to help group. And a lot of these people have been out of work for years, um, sometimes decades. Sometimes they've never had a job in their, in their entire adult lives. So we think this is a model that works because it's really crowdsourcing support. You know, on the one hand, it's about removing financial barriers. But on the other hand, in a way much more powerfully, it's about actually creating a kind of social contract between one person and a couple of hundred strangers who actually are saying, I back you. I'm going to back you with two pounds or 20 pounds or whatever it is. And that's really, really transformative and really confidence building for that individual. That individual wants to repay the trust that those people have put in him. And I think that's fundamentally why we're saying that this model is having so much more power than a more traditional model. It's about really building this entire new support network around an individual. That's wonderful. And it's it's so refreshing to hear, uh, especially we hear a lot of doom and gloom at the moment in the press and uh, with things going on. Tell me um, about it. It's, it's, so, it's so good to hear such a this 
tech for good. I think a lot of people that we talk to, I know will be interested in this. It was one of the reasons I was really keen to talk to you. And, you know, we at JBM are fully behind you on this. You've been covered in the press, as, as you mentioned. You personally have won awards and the business has named by Guardian as one of the most important social tech innovations of 2018. What for you, Alex, have been the, the personal highlights so far and, and where could you take this? What are the aims for the business? It was really exciting winning Best Tech for Good in Europe, Best Tech for Good in the UK, all these awards. And, you know, I, I sound like a real arrogant idiot if I read out any other of them. But like, you know, these are great. But really what gets us most excited is actually seeing the impact it's having on people's lives and knowing that we're building a really scalable model that will be able to help hundreds of thousands and hopefully millions of people ultimately. For me, probably some of the personal highlights relate to when people who've been through the model begin funding other people. So setting up a monthly donation and becoming effectively the patron of a new generation of, of BEAM members. And that's really possible because people are getting into skilled work. And, you know, a key part of this model is actually by making these investments into people, you allow them to come up a couple of rungs on the ladder. And so the average salary of people in work is £27,000, which is, you know, a pretty solid salary. And that's really important because the vast majority of people on the platform have children. So it's allowing them to live with, with dignity and, you know, look after their kids in, in the way they want to. And so, you know, seeing the donations coming through from people who only a relatively short time ago were recipients themselves of help, I think that's amazing. And that's kind of a personal highlight for me. And every time I see those donations coming through, I get, yeah, a little, little fussy glow. Awesome. You mentioned in a LinkedIn article and your TEDx Brighton talk, there is much more that we can all do for the long-term solutions to the homelessness problem. Can you give just to our listeners just a, some some examples of what anyone listening can do to help? Sure. Well, head to beam.org. Now, see how the platform works. Fund someone, even if it's just like one pound, fund someone. I guarantee it will be the most meaningful, uplifting thing you do all day. And, you know, that's, I think, worth a pound to you. But even if you don't want to fund someone, you can go to the newsfeed and you can just wish someone well. You can congratulate them on some progress. You can like a comment. And just to clarify, the newsfeed is effectively a social feed that is made up of updates from all of the different people on the Beam platform. And so as you progress through Beam, through your training and through your work, you can send updates with a photo and these are then aggregated onto a newsfeed. If you don't have a smartphone, we simply budget for one and crowdfund one for you. And again, it's this way of kind of bringing people together. So one of the things we're doing at Beam is sort of connecting people who want to help with, with people who need that help and using technology to do that. And I guess the traditional model of, of a charity is you sort of sit in the middle and these two groups are kept fairly far apart. And we think actually both groups have an awful lot to gain when you can connect them using technology. For the donor, it's really powerful because they can see who is receiving their money and they can see the impact that it's making on their lives. You know, here is a photo of someone training to become a, you know, a healthcare assistant. Well, look, I last month I paid £10 for that and there they are doing their training and they're going to be helping people once they're qualified. And then, as I was mentioning, for the beneficiary, it's so powerful to see these are real people who've, who've, who've funded them and who believe in them. That's so rewarding. Yeah, that's 
it's wonderful well i hope everyone i will be getting on this later today to invest and we'll tell the whole team um, <laughs> Thanks, and i hope everyone listening will as well because it's 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 so important i think uh, all of us that have been blessed uh, in this life you know when you when you look at and I've, i was on it this morning looking at some of the testimonials some of the things that have been achieved already and it really is wonderful to see so we wish you all the best with that thanks james i'll say there's actually a couple of other things that people can do as well so people can run fundraisers yeah a sort of just giving type fundraiser so you know if you're interested in, in in raising money, a larger sum of money from friends and family, you can just start a fundraiser and then send out the URL and people can donate. So that's a nice thing to do. Um, we also have gift cards. So if people want to make a donation on behalf of someone else, maybe it's a Christmas present or a birthday present, you can do that. Also, those are used quite a lot by companies. Okay. So it's kind of just a nice way of saying thank you to a customer. So you send them a, they basically get an email which says, you know, X company, we've made a donation on your behalf. You can now allocate this donation and they go to the Beam website. They don't need to enter any credit card details and they can just effectively give that gifted donation to someone and then they follow the progress of that individual. So um, yeah, fundraisers and gift cards also um, really nice little features. Great. Amazing. Well, we're coming towards the end. We could could talk for hours, Alex, and perhaps we can do a second round to see where (laughs) you guys are at in in a year's time. But um, just to kind of wrap things up, a couple of quick fire questions, really. Sure. Obviously, this is the 40 minute mentor and I'm a big believer in the power of mentorship. Do you personally have any mentors? And if so, how have they helped your career? I wouldn't say I have someone who's sort of a formal mentor. I definitely have people who are kind of older and wiser and much more successful than me that I sometimes kind of catch up with. So I guess, you know, there's a sort of like, I wouldn't say like a mental panel, but like certainly people that I look up to that I'm able to grab a bit of time in their diaries from time to time. And that's really valuable because, you know, it really puts whatever stresses and strains you might be feeling into perspective. So, you know, I would say that it's always worth sort of having these people in your life if you can find them. It's probably a bit scary sometimes if you're looking to find a mentor to send an email to someone and go, please be my mentor. You know, that's going to terrify someone. But just sort of grabbing someone for a coffee or something and and seeing if they want to meet again a few months later if they're the right person, it can certainly add a huge amount of value. Yeah, definitely. Great advice. And for anyone listening that is in need of some mentorship or potentially thinking about changing careers, perhaps a similar move to what you did a few years back, leaving law to move into tech, what one final piece of advice would you give to anyone in that situation? Do it. Life is short and you get one of them. So, you know, you can spend the rest of this week or month or year or decade thinking about should I do this? Should I do that? But the reality is the tech sector is absolutely booming. And as long as you are reconciled to the fact that you might need to take a pay cut in the short term, then you should just get out and do it. And the amount of opportunity in technology at the moment is just absolutely unimaginable. So, um, yeah, you know, no excuses, eh? (laughs) I think that is a great place to leave it. Thank you so much for your time, Alex. Really appreciate it. And we wish you and Beam all the very best for the year ahead. Thanks, James. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the 40 Minute Mentor brought to you by JBM. So if you'd like to tell us what you thought of the podcast or find out how we can help you with your next career move, please do get in touch at info at jbmc.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you.